0: OAMnetwork.com Power to the podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Bike Nerds Podcast. This is episode ninety-eight. Hello, fellow bike nerds. Welcome back. Um uh, Sarah. You're Hello? you're a woman of a certain age. Would you say that?
0: <laughs> I would not say that, no. What does
1: that mean, actually?
0: I don't know. Does that
1: is that imply um that you're old?
0: I don't know what it means, and so I'm unwilling to accept
1: it. <laughs> Let's let me ask you this. Are you of the age where you <laughs> where you would have been as a teenager uh a fan of the boy band 98 degrees
0: i am of that age
1: Um, yes see that you are of the certain age i was thinking of
0: (laughs) i think you could you should workshop that delivery with some more people who are identifying as female
1: you're literally the only person uh the only female that talks to me so um (laughs) i've workshopped it with a hundred percent of my peer group um so as a as a as a, <laughs> as a woman of the age of ninety eight right. degrees, <laughs> the reason I'm going with all this because this is episode ninety eight, and I wondered if you had a favorite ninety eight degrees song that you could share with us.
0: Um, I'm oh, I just put me on mute. Now I'm back. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, I'm googling. You really gave me a just a I this came out of nowhere, really.
1: Well, I mean, it's episode ninety eight. I can't the only thing that I could think in my mind that you would be thinking about with episode 98 would be the late 1990s boy band 98 degrees.
0: So I don't have a favorite 98 degrees (laughs) song. They were not my top. I was more in sync. That's where my allegiance lie. I will say that Nick Lachey, one of the brothers of Nick and Drew Lachey in 98 degrees was a pioneer with reality television when him and jessica simpson were married and i really enjoyed that reality show (laughs)
1: okay i don't think we should take this any further i think we should just stop at this moment. you started Um, it (laughs) well i wasn't really sure where we were gonna go with the episode (laughs) and
0: do you have a 98 degrees song
1: no no
0: did you listen to 98 degrees
1: no you, you know i was too i was too rebellious to do that
0: or it would have been like super rebellious to listen to it i don't
1: think so i don't think so was 98 degrees around in
0: 1998
1: yeah man it feels like there's so many opportunities for marketing there
0: there is like they na- were really like popular 98
1: degrees that would have been the, that would have been the name of my album that i released that year that year <laughs> and i only would have performed during the summertime when it was 98 degrees 90, but
0: only on days that it was 98 degrees yeah
1: yeah i mean i would have taken it like to an extreme
0: 90 degrees isn't even that hot i mean it's hot but it's not like it's not like a sexy degree that's true temperature that is in true. my opinion why, why would
1: they why did they call their group 98 degrees
0: i don't know like For me, if I were a boy band and I had a level of sex appeal, it would be like maybe like 72 degrees with humidity of 30%.
1: Yeah. Isn't 98 degrees like the temperature your normal body is supposed to be at?
0: Yeah,
1: Like 98.6. So it's not even hot. It's just like normal. Yeah. They should have called themselves average.
0: Average. (laughs) Then I think they were all just that. And
1: maybe maybe based on your perception of them, they were. Um Wow.
0: Well, other than thinking about late 90s, <laughs> early 2000 boy bands, what else has been going on? Um, you
1: know, the last couple of weeks have been. I have to say, I've really enjoyed work the last couple of weeks. I've had a lot of good time in the office. Um, things that we've been working on for a couple months now are moving forward at a, at a rapid pace. Um, I just. Uh, People for Bikes just released a news story about Baltimore, and you know your interview with Liz and Jed a couple months ago. um, You know everything they were talking about in that in Mm -hmm. that interview that you did with them on the podcast here is now a reality, and so we just released a story about you know the 28th Street corridor being uh, provided a new two way bicycle way through there. It's really it's really exciting to sort of see what's happening there recently, and then. You know they were having they were having all that trouble with the the fire department on getting permissions to put bike lanes on roadways and they were using yeah. this arcane fire code well city, F, F city those guys yeah well, but city council city council this past week in Baltimore passed and repealed that provision of the fire code from the local from the local ordinances, and it's on the mayor's desk now for you know approval and so it you know. Just to say, there's there's a lot of amazing stuff happening, you know, uh, uh, in the office here, around the world, in Baltimore. Um, we're getting ready to put out a really interesting story about some work we've been helping do in Providence, Rhode Island, um, around a really sort of robust and sort of multi-layered community engagement campaign that they've been leading. Uh, they they have this big project that they're trying to deliver called CityWalk. Um, and they've been doing these like really sort of small scale but but layered approaches to community engagement. That when you sort of put them all down on paper together, you're like, holy smokes, that's that's really powerful. Um, one of the projects that they did was they had there's an organization in Providence called Youth in Action. It's a uh, it's a uh, sort of a youth oriented and youth led sort of like after school program that helps students become engaged in important matters to their communities and important matters to their to their cities and in in fact, the youth even design the programming that they actually do. And so you get you get selected to be a part of this program, and then you're tasked with actually like leading it. So the, there's there's supervisors there to help sort of guide the process and keep things moving along, but the youth decide what to do. And one of the things that they wanted to do was to showcase perceptions of bicycling and walking in their neighborhood. And so they they did this big photographic art project where they photographed people that they saw riding bikes in their neighborhood and then interviewed them and did this huge arts installation up and down the street that have these photographs matched with quotes from the interview that says, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so and this is the reason why I bike, or this is the reason why I walk. And it's like, it's demonstrating, it's both like it's both community led in who was doing the project and then also sort of reflective of the community in what they were able to show and that the installation is up in businesses along the corridor. And so as you're walking into all of these locally owned businesses, you're seeing your neighbor sort of, you know, from a visual sense and then matched with a quote um, written in their native tongue um, of, of why they sort of think bicycling and walking is important.
0: That's beautiful. And what's the organization that did that
1: youth in action?
0: I cannot wait to dive into that question for you. Yeah. Not to go back to like a light topic, but as a man of a certain age, when do you start referring to people as youth? I
1: think probably after you get out of college, you can talk about the youth.
0: <laughs> I that's okay. I don't. When
1: when do you refer to people as youth?
0: I currently don't.
1: You don't don't you don't think there's youth running around?
0: I, they do run around. I try not to try not to necessarily engage with them.
1: I probably wouldn't call somebody a youth. Um in this instance the organization is called Youth in Action and so it felt I hear you. No and I'm very impressed
0: with their work. I really enjoy projects like that that highlight through, you know, a, someone's pers- perspective folks that are not necessarily highlighted and given the space to have their photo taken and share personal words and especially if Folks that are younger than me, or youths, are involved. That's even better.
1: <laughs> oh, I feel like we're going to have to ban the word "youth" from the podcast. <laughs> after this,
0: I'm, I'm just getting used to it, just warming it remember, up.
1: Do you remember that the second year we did the podcast, we we created a list of banned words? Yeah, I would say we've been really good about that since then.
0: I believe so. We we
1: we effectively removed them from our lexicon. Um, we don't use the word lexicon enough, just so you know. Just I agree world, with that. Um, but I also can't think of, since that time, since we banned some words from our, our use, uh, I can't think that we have have fallen into another routine of using other words um, that we've had to subsequently ban. Have we?
0: I don't think we will, and I just hope we don't.
1: But maybe youth is... On the chopping block. It may. (laughs) Hey, uh, here's something to share. Episode 98. That means that Bike Nerds podcast fans have one more episode to send us their emails, their comments, their feedbacks, to get on iTunes and leave us a review, uh, to get on Facebook or Twitter and send uh, send us some suggestions of things they'd like us to talk about. Uh, tell us their favorite part of the show, their favorite episode, tell us their favorite memory of listening to the podcast. We're going to spend episode 100, you and I together in the city of New Orleans. Uh, We're going to have a little party while we're down there, and we are uh, going to read listener feedback, listener comments and listener reviews of the show live on the air. And that's going to be uh, sort of our celebratory 100th episode Um, coming down the pipeline so you know since you're uh since we're keeping track sarah um we didn't get any new iTunes reviews the last couple of weeks
0: i noticed
1: you know i don't know what's going on there uh also no new emails since i reported last episode (laughs) Uh, well i guess if
0: you don't take you six months to reply i mean maybe we're we've lost our audience
1: maybe so Uh, i will say we have gotten a few um comments on twitter though
0: that's nice i can't wait to hear him has anyone asked to come to our party no okay
1: but we did have um we did have somebody inquire about something um a a piece of the show we'll share we'll share that in our 100th episode uh we also had somebody just this morning when i woke up somebody sent us over a couple of articles and um recommended that we maybe select these articles as a potential topic for a future episode.
0: Well, that's kind,
1: it's super kind. Um, so I, know, I'm encouraged by the incremental progress, uh, that our listeners are making at getting us back. But I want to stress, there's only one more episode left before we record the hundredth episode. so if you got something to say,
0: you, time's gotta, a you gotta say it soon. I'm to in. Speaking of, the 98 degree episode that's about to play for our listeners. Mm-hmm. I had such a great conversation with Colin Murphy, who's the director of research and consulting with the shared use mobility center.
1: What's his connection uh, to 98 degrees?
0: <laughs> he's on the 90. He's, a, he's the guest of the 98th episode. Oh,
1: I see. I see. I thought, I'm bringing
0: it back. I, I
1: thought there was like a, like a real link here, but
0: I'm trying to make a full circle. I should
1: have known. It's a, it's a bike nerd circle, which is a yeah. little loose.
0: Um, but I mentioned to him a variety of times that I love what the shared use mobility center does. And so it was really fantastic to have him on the show. He, Um, His research efforts focus on how newer shared modes of interaction with existing transportation networks, um, kind of what their potential is to transform cities. And so it was really fun to talk about kind of really some of the topics you and I have discussed about how VC funding and the transportation space – is either good or bad, or we don't know yet. Um, a conversation about micro transit and these new modes around dockless scooters and other things, and also how they interact with existing public transportation systems. It was really, it was really exciting. And you haven't listened to it yet, so I'm gonna ask you a question. Yeah. Did you see dockless scooters coming and being as like popular, verdict to be out successful as they've been in the last six to twelve months?
1: Hmm. I would say no.
0: Okay, that's all I needed.
1: Okay. I I do have nope. to say though, nope. I'm that's I'm all not, I needed. I'm really bummed <laughs> I'm really bummed that I missed uh, recording the interview with with you. <laughs> I I actually wanted to do it.
0: <laughs> it, and, it was great. You missed you missed and, out. <laughs>
1: and here I am, I'm I'm like at the office, I'm sitting in the middle of a meeting uh in on a day that is just Back to back to back meetings, you know, from 9am to 5pm. And I get this text and it's like, are you joining us for the call? (laughs) And I was like, I thought Uh in my head, I was like, yeah, I am tomorrow. (laughs) Because that's when I wrote it on my calendar. And then I like checked back, I scrolled a little bit further back in the text and I was like, Oh, that's actually today no sorry you know sorry not coming yeah <laughs> not. Coming it
0: was to totally fine anymore. i felt like you were overly apologetic as like the flakiest po- co-host you could potentially have selected being me i was totally fine <laughs> that you weren't able i mean i missed you it was i missed it your was, questions it was but just,
1: you know i was just in the middle of that day of meetings and it felt like i had everything else dialed in for what i needed to do for that day but that was like the one piece that threw me for a loop a little bit
0: all is forgiven
1: thanks i hope colin forgives me as well
0: he didn't even know you're gonna be there
1: that's even better right no (laughs) no expectation there was no expectation no expectation (laughs) until Uh, now (laughs) no failure yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i think that's enough of you and me i agree let's do this thing
0: let's hit it For over 25 years, Bike Fixation has been designing and manufacturing bicycle parking and infrastructure products to help cities, neighborhoods, businesses, and schools become more bike-friendly. Bike Fixation has collaborated with architects, city planners, and transportation engineers to ensure their products are some of the most durable, innovative, and intuitive infrastructure products around. And for as long as Bike Fixation has been making their products in Madison, Wisconsin, they've been standing shoulder to shoulder with many of the Bike Nerds guests in supporting efforts to make bicycling more safe, more accessible, and more fun. Why? Because Bike Fixation believes a better world includes more bikes. To stay up to date on what Bike Fixation is doing for bike parking and infrastructure, visit BikeFixation.com slash Bike Nerds. And now we're back with the Bike Nerds Podcast. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining me solo on the Bike Nerds Podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your day.
2: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've actually had you and the Shared Use Mobility Center on my mind really probably since Kyle and I began recording now about two and a half, three years ago. Um, I've attended a few shared use mobility conferences, and I've always found um, the cross section of different types of modes talking to each other um, and listening to each other to be really fascinating.
2: Well, it's 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 really interesting work, and it's um, especially if at our summits we get we it's it's a real mix of different people, like practitioners from the departments of transportation, the private sector people, your, you know, your policy folks. So it's, we try to make a, a, a good, interesting um, kind of cross-pollination um, environment at those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how does, I think we hear shared mobility a lot. How does the shared use mobility center define shared mobility?
2: Um, we take it pretty broadly. We're pretty much, um, Anything where, um, well, I mean, just in terms of modes, we look at car sharing, bike sharing, um, you know, the new the micro mobility. Um, so the uh, the scooters. Um, we include ride sourcing, so um, Uber and Lyft, and as well as micro transit. And then at the core of all of it, we really feel like. Um, that transit is, is the essential backbone that makes any of this um, work and uh, really be kind of socially, uh, socially useful. So, um, so I guess at the, de- the definition of all of that is, you know, you've got sequential sharing where different people are using the same resource one after another, but you've also got concurrent sharing where people are, you know, sharing a resource at the same time. So if it's moving around and people, um, multiple people use it over the course of a day, um, it's, it's, uh, something we're interested in.
0: How long has the center been around?
2: We were founded in 2014. Um, and, and we, came out of the center for it's we have dna from the center for Neurotechnology, uh which is here in chicago which uh, is uh they call themselves a think and do tank and they um they're the they're the people i think the thing they're most famous for is the housing plus transportation index where they um looked at the idea that when you take the cost of of transportation for living somewhere into consideration alongside um, housing that, um, you know, living someplace downtown that may, might have more transit accessibility um, that allows you to live without a car or live with, you know, one car instead of two um, actually can drive down your your household transportation costs enough that, that it offsets the, you know, what's generally a greater, greater expense of living, living close in versus living out in, you know, a brand new greenfield suburb, um, in, in the cheapest, the cheapest housing you can, mm-hmm. you can qualify for. Um, so CNT invented that. That's their big, um, one of their major contributions to the, to the discourse, and another thing they did was created a, a community-based car-sharing organization here in Chicago called iGo, and um, our, the the CEO of iGo um, was is Sharon or was Sharon Fagan, who is now our executive director. Um, and um, iGo car-sharing did well, um, and eventually garnered interest from the private sector, and so it was it was sold to Enterprise Car share. And with the money from that, um, they really wanted to, and Sharon in particular, wanted to be the mission of, of IGO, which was to enable people to live well without having to own their own car. Um, and so that money went into founding this new organization, the Shared Use Mobility Center uh, in 2014, which was looking at you know less of less of just the, the operations like IGO was doing and more um, doing research, doing, um, uh, you know, getting people together for, for events like the summit um, and just trying to trying to gather best practices and kind of make sure there was a conscience to this exploding industry of shared mobility that, that really has been taking off the last few years.
0: Yeah. So in 2014, you know, kind of being experts in the field was microtransit or the kind of explosion of bike share or even when we look at you know r- you know ride sourcing was that something mm-hmm. that y'all saw as a trend upcoming
2: yeah i think that was starting to get off the ground i don't think uh sharon or anybody else i didn't join until 20 middle of 2015 but i don't think sharon or anybody else could have possibly imagined how big uh all of these things would get and the you know the 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 level, the amount that just everybody would be talking about this stuff in a couple of years. So, um, you know, I think maybe um, what would have originally been a kind of a niche um, research organization ended up being um, where I feel like we're at the center of a lot more, a lot of the conversations that are going on around cities, around transportation, around energy use, around um you know, just sort of changing, changing lifestyles. And um, so it's, but I think that that was probably a surprise for everybody.
0: And it was there, I may be using this analogy wrong. Was there a, you know, canary in the coal mine? I mean, is there kind of a reason for why this has be, become such a conversation around really, you know, transportation environment? Culture, you know, social, kind of all of these activities that are now beginning to intersect around the conversation around transportation. Um, like, what's your theory on why it's become such an important topic?
2: Um, I think um, the rise of of the TNCs first um, that kind of eclipsed, you know, any of the kind of any of the share mobility that had come before. Um, in just in, in its visibility, in um, the way it changed, the way people thought about how they got around and, you know, whether they needed to have their own car, or whether they needed to drive. But, um, but I think more recently, I think the, the, the second generation of bike share with the dockless bike share is really um, taking making it take off and making that conversation um, a lot more Uh, take place in a lot more circles than than just kind of the transportation nerds who might have been interested in car sharing and and bike share 1.0 and those those things. Do
0: you think that has to do particularly with dockless is that people are I think maybe beginning to realize that there is a such thing as public space and right of way and when things kind of get in what your normal path is that that either is a good thing or, or a bad thing?
2: I think, um, you know, anything new is always is always shocking. But um, (laughs) in turn, what I think is sort of strange about the the dockless conversation is that um, the private automobile kind of gets the amount of space that private automobiles take up on our streets is almost completely obscured in that conversation, even though that's, you know, the vast majority of our public spaces is is, or the of a public right of way is dedicated to, to private automobiles, but um, I think I don't know. I think maybe there's a um, um, I'm not sure. I don't want to say junkiness, but like there's uh, this kind of toy-like quality to the way a lot of the, the dockless bikes look, and especially now you're the, the scooters, and so it's something that um, I don't know, people maybe take less seriously as a, as a um, meaningful mode of transportation. And so, and so it does just look like more sort of junk in the, in the, in the right of way, getting, keeping you from getting where you're going. I'm not sure if that. I don't know. Go on.
0: I don't know either. It, it, yeah. it is interesting. You brought up the aesthetics. So I work for a nonprofit based in Memphis that recently <laughs> launched a station-based bike share system. Um, and I have had a handful of calls where it's, we're so excited that bike shares here, but mm-hmm. please like remove it from in front of my historical X because just right. it's, it looks tacky and the aesthetics are, are awful. And they don't necessarily right. even care that we've taken up parking or that something else has happened. It's that there's now this new thing that they've never seen before. Um, right. Changing their line of vision to like the park across the street. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, these things are colorful. These things are a lot more visible, um, you know, partially because they're new, but partially because it's, you know, they're designed to be visible and designed to catch your eye. Um, and so I think that's just kind of more shocking. Maybe more, and so it gets more attention than the newspaper boxes or the cafe tables or, um, you know, all of the other things that that are along the sidewalks. At the same, that's not to dismiss the concerns about, um, you know, these – about bikes just piling up in, in um, you know, kind of unmanaged ways and the impacts that those could have, especially for, for uh, people who have – more difficulty getting around or, or seeing which way they're going. So, um, but I think a lot of it is just novelty and it's, and that'll kind of, um, wear off to some degree once people are more used to seeing this, seeing this stuff in their environment. So like now I, you know, when Divi bike share in Chicago first appeared, it was, everyone I saw, I was sort of, I would get excited about. And now it's just another aspect of the,
0: Mm-hmm. of the
2: environment. So.
0: I also wanted to bring up kind of a your research paper that I actually have, I think I read maybe when it came out, Shared Mobility and the Transfer, Transformation of Public Transit. Um, yeah. What was the kind of impotence of the, the article that with all of these new options that people were interacting with public transit in a different way? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. So that was a, that was a study that we did for the um, uh, transit cooperative research program of TRB and uh, came out in 2016. And there are sort of two versions of it floating around. There's one kind of shorter, um, more colorful version that, that uh, we was put out with the help of APTA. And then there's the longer, more researchy one was put out by TRB and, um, they're essentially the same content but really that was trying to get at um the more lifestyle level changes that um the the this expanding menu of mobility options can make it possible um and that um one thing we found in particular and I don't I don't I I Definitely don't want to imply causality here. But one thing we found was that the more more total shared modes that people used, the more they also rode transit um, compared to just general transit riders and then also compared to people who, who didn't really use uh, who didn't use transit at all. So um,
0: and do you, why was that?
2: Well, I think it's a combination of two things. I think there's a little bit of self-selection where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people who want to live in a, um, you know, want to see the benefits of and want to live in a sort of multimodal um, area and want to live in a place where you've got a lot of options um, probably tend to shy away from solo driving and, um, you know, own less cars and, um, and ride transit more. But I think, um, but I think there's also, um, a degree of it's you have that transit is at the center of a truly multimodal lifestyle. And so you, um, you know, that's sort of the, that's sort of the, the, the core and the staple of, your transportation menu and then these other things sort of get you to the extra extra places that you need to go that the bus might not take you conveniently or you know late at night when you don't want to when you don't want to wait for it um and so um i don't know i think that i we were trying to understand that um that emerged this new way of of getting around that is now becoming possible with, with uh, all these new options that are around. Um, And so I think the thing that was a little different about our study was a lot of the, a lot of the research, particularly around TNCs is looking at it asks a question like, okay, think of your last TNC trip. And then what would you have done if that, if, you know, what, how would you have made that trip if uh, TNCs weren't available? And this is a common way you see this question posed. And, um, and, and, And it is easy to show replacement and induced trips that way, but I don't think it tells you as much about whether there is kind of lifestyle level change going on where Um, you know, yeah, for a given trip, it might've been something people did on the bus before, but overall, are people driving less Are people riding transit more? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think evidence is kind of unfortunately pointing, pointing away from that in some cases, but I think there's also, um, at least some evidence that, you know, for, for, um, a small group of people there. Definitely. Um, it's allowing them to get rid of their cars and, and, um, live, live, uh, just on the, on the menu of things that are out there. And I think, you know, getting rid of a car, selling a car, not replacing a car. That's something that, that's something that takes, you know, several years if you Mm -hmm. already own a car and so I think it's gonna you know TNCs have only been around since 2012 in the places where they've been around the longest I guess 2011 in San Francisco but you know that that those sorts of big fundamental lifestyle shifts take longer to manifest so um I'm hopeful that that will be sort of something that we see increasing Um, but I think the jury is kind of still out on it.
0: With kind of, to your earlier point about kind of transit being the backbone of mobility, when you look Mm -hmm. across using, let's just stick in the continental U.S., um, with cities Mm -hmm. trying different types of mobility options, whether it's scooters or to Go, I mean, can a city be successful with shared mobility without having a strong um, you know, traditional public transit system?
2: I think it's a lot tougher. I mean, if you have to have a car to exist in a city, um, or, you know, or it's, it's, um, the thing that's going to make you use a car more is owning a car. Um, that's the most Mm. likely predictor of your amount of car use. So, um, and if you just can't really rely on on the bus or trains to get you where you need to go, most of the time, it's going to be a lot harder to have that kind of multimodal lifestyle. I think it could um, do more kind of marginal trip replacement um, for for shorter trips, maybe. But um, it's 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 tough to get at that real lifestyle change, I think, without, without um, good transit being at the core there. But on the other hand, I think it, um, it's possible that uh, we will see more what used to be two car households or three car households, even, um, you know, where, where you've got another car just in case That just in case now is something that between car share and TNCs, um, you know, you don't have to actually have this, have an extra car sitting in front of your house or in the garage um, in order to, you know, for those really um, occasional trips. And that, um, so I think there could be some reduction happening there, but um, but. We, as an organization, and our research suggests that it's tough. It's tough to um, really make that change without without robust transit and without. It's not even robust transit. It's sort of the level of car dependency of, of the region, um, and I guess that's you know robust transit. I guess means you can get where you need to go on transit, you know, for most of the, most of the places in the region. Um, but, um, and so in a place like, like Los Angeles, where there's a great bus network, there's, they're building more and more trains. Um, but it's still not a place that it's easy to exist. Um, you know, just because of the scale of it, uh, without having a car of your own. So,
0: And for, I guess, Los Angeles as as another example, you know, what are there – is there a list of things, you know, through all y'all's research that, you know, are surefire ways to, you know, reduce personal car trips or reduce personal car ownership?
2: Um, we don't –
0: I realize some some questions are unanswerable. Yeah,
2: that, that, I don't think, I, I wish it was that simple. But, yeah. you know, now we're getting, that gets into just like the things that, you know, TDM people have been working on for, for generations. Like those things are, it's just a, uh, I think a lot of it is kind of just consciousness raising and making people aware of all these options and making them realize that you, there are, you're not gonna die without your car, and um, there are ways to get around, get around, and get to and from the places you need to go. Um, but you know, people just might not be aware of them, and you know, I think that's a role of of technology and 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 mobile apps in particular is just kind of that increasing discoverability of this stuff, and um, you know, there was this. Kind of heartening study or or sort of data release from Uber recently, since they acquired Jump, the uh, the uh, electric assist bike share company that a lot of people are replacing Uber trips with with Jump, you know, e bike trips. And I think that's great. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And it's about um, you know making it easy to see all these things making people aware of them and making it easy to access them um and um if people are having to know about it ahead of time and make a plan and have sort of prior knowledge of these resources um it's less likely to get used i think but um if it's something that somebody can kind of stumble across and and um see that this is an option for, for the trip that they want to make, then, um, I think that is, that's a big part of it. And, um, with bike share in particular, I think that is something that kind of the longer it's around, the more ways people figure out to use it. You know, I've been using, I've been using Divi here in Chicago since it launched, but more and more, I realize like, just little trips around downtown or, you know, something that's just a couple miles to a neighborhood, um, you know, a little bit outside downtown um, that I'm going to after work or something that, that, um, or even making a whole, you know, I live a, like 13 miles from, from my work, but on a couple of occasions I've, I've bike shared the whole way. And, you know, but I think it takes a while to kind of discover these different ways that you can use these things, and and um, you know, change your habits and change the way you think about getting around the city.
0: With the innovation and, and with innovation and technology kind of helping to drive shared mobility, is there a group of individuals that are being left behind because of a digital literacy gap?
2: I I I'm less worried about the. Digital mm-hmm. literacy part, I think the at least with young people, um, the the penetration of cell phones mm-hmm. and, the, and the, um, of the availability of cell phones and, and data plans is is um, much greater than than I think we would imagine. But I think it's more about credit cards and enabling people who are unbanked. Um, and not only credit cards, but um, sort of the increments of of cost, and um, I think that's likely a much bigger barrier for people uh, taking part in in bike share, particularly. You know, having um, having a fifty dollar, or ninety nine dollar annual membership is you know that you have to come up with all at once is is just something that. You know, many, many people don't have those many dollars together at one time or, you know, would not be willing to, to spend it on something, even if it means they're going to travel free for the whole rest of the year. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we're seeing with the dockless bikes is they are available in these much smaller increments and just, you know, sort of a la carte, a little pro- – kind of more easily than a lot of the first generation bike share were. And that seems to be um, something that is um, making them be more widely used beyond the sort of um, initial ground zero downtown kind of dense neighborhoods where where docked bike share kind of does best at first you know, in the initial steps of building out a network. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, more broadly, I do worry that um, to the degree that, uh, especially um, to the degree that share mobility gets used as an excuse to not invest in transit, um, that that's absolutely, you know, undermining lots of people's ways of getting around who who depend on transit for for their life
0: well also i i appreciate you bringing out the kind of cash or unbanked piece um Mm -hmm. because i know from in memphis you know 24 i believe 24 percent of our population is unbanked Mm -hmm. and i've only really looked at it through the lens of bike share but have not necessarily looked at it through the lens of that also prohibits you from using Uber and if things become more integrated regarding, you know, fair payment methods, you know, where does that leave folks that are unbaked for really doesn't even matter the reason why choice or or otherwise um, kind of, where does that land those individuals?
2: I think that's why it's super important to figure out, you know, retail ways of, of, um, letting people get, get money onto these, onto these things or, you know, directly subsidizing, doing kind of account based things where, um, you know, somebody's app can get charged up with, you know, your mobility points for the month that you can spend any way you want or, you know, a, you know, your free bus pass plus X number of rides on, um, you know, free bus pass, bike share, and then X number of TNC rides, something like that. Um, There are examples of that around the country I've seen that are kind of interesting. This is kind of getting beyond the unbanked question, but it's, but it's. So what's um, one of the
0: examples that a TNC is doing
2: that is using that? So this is actually, well, this is more a transit agency that's using TNCs as part of their part of their, what they're doing. But um, so in the, it's the Pinellas Suncoast, Transit transportation agency which is in outside of tampa so in pinellas county wet like the peninsula west of tampa um it's super sprawling like low density um post-war development absolutely car dependent landscape and um and they've got a bus system that that you know they've got a solid arterial bus system but it takes a long time to get around this pretty sprawling landscape. Um, and so they have a program where for people who are considered transportation disadvantaged, so it's an inc- their income qualified to take part in this program who they get a, they can get a super subsidized monthly bus pass for like nine or 10 bucks. And then when, when you buy that pass that unlocks like 20 free ride, 20 free TNC rides home, between a workplace and home, or vice versa, for times when the bus isn't running. So the whole idea is for people who you know work third shift or you know are bartenders and get out, you know, at two or three a.m., you know, long after the buses are no are no longer running, they don't have to depend on you know they can ride the bus to work and then they've got a way to get home and so um it's you know making it so people can again get around do the jobs they need to do um but without having to have a car without having to you know buy whatever clunker you can get your hands on just to just to get to work so so that's a pretty cool program and um and I think the and I think the fact that it's explicitly tied to the transit pass is what makes it really really kind of great.
0: Yeah, no, that's fascinating. So does a program like that, is that, how does that happen? Is it community members, you know, demanding a better way to get around town or does it come from a city level or from funding from a funder? I mean, how does that,
2: that in that case there, there in Florida, they have, there's like state money specifically for transportation, disadvantaged people. Um, And I don't know the exact qualifications for that. And then that, and basically that is paying the subsidies for these, for these rides. But um, I think the idea is that, you know, really not all that many people are, are, are taking part in a program like this. Not that many people would really be riding buses at two or 3 AM. And so You know, compared to what it would cost to be running buses, you know, that are probably running like every 60 or 75 minutes um, that are really barely useful for anybody, um, that it is cheaper and gets more directly at, at solving the problem just to directly subsidize these rides at the times when at the times or in the locations where transit just can't work. Um, But um, so, but in that case, that, my understanding is that came out, that was an idea that um, the transit agency came up with to, to, you know, make their bus service more useful for, for more people, you know, and, and get at those, those gaps in service um, in a, in a kind of creative way.
0: That's great. I like that.
2: Yeah.
0: Florida. Who knew? Yep. <laughs> um, also, part of the um, research study um, that I found interesting was um, kind of the discussion about cultivating public and private partnerships and targeting that investment. And I think we've had a few guests on this guests on our podcast where we kind of talked about. That it's really great that there's this new rush of VC funding and different private investments into transportation, Um, Mm -hmm. but where does that leave public transit in terms of something that should be supported by our government and should be a service that our our cities provide our our citizens?
2: I think. I mean, and I think that is the the biggest um, risk that we need to think about when it comes to. Starting to depend on on a lot of these services as as like core parts of our transportation system is that we have no idea how much they actually cost and um, if the VC money dries up or you know in future rounds they can't raise as much um, and you've cut your bus lines because who needs bus lines anymore because you can get there by Uber and Lyft for the same you know, for the same price, um, I think that's a that sort of foregoing the the public interest um, is is a real a real danger, and I, I think about that a lot, worry about that a lot. Um, so I don't I don't see how the current prices of things are sustainable in the long term. And so, um, you know, I definitely kind of caution against um, creating a, a system or a partnership that depends on the current state and current pricing of, of any of these services.
0: Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch as a non-expert and I have similar sort of concerns where it feels like a very slippery slope where it, mm-hmm. it feels very shiny and new and potentially really helpful today. But in five years, will it, will it feel that way?
2: Right. Yeah. Um, and what is it? And really a lot of, a lot of what currently is making it cheaper is the fact that, um, you know, it's a lot cheaper to, pay somebody 1099 or contract rate than it is to pay a union bus driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and that's a, that plus the VC is a big source of why the why the price to consumers right now is so much lower. So, um, yeah, so it's sort of we're at this weird artificial moment that I, I kind of feel in a, in a way like. Get as much as you can, you know, like enjoy it yeah. while you can because who <laughs> knows how long it's going to be here.
0: Yeah, very layered. Yeah. I mean, the workforce piece is also a piece that I feel like goes relatively unnoticed on a mm-hmm. kind of larger scale um, that there's actually humans that are not necessarily protected by, you know, unions or other institutions that were protecting folks in the past. Yeah. Well, Colin, as we wrap up, I've got... Maybe it's, a, I don't know, it's easier hard, is what, you know, like, forecasting, like, what is, like, on the horizon for shared mobility? Is it more scooters? Is it flying cars?
2: <laughs> um, what I don't, I don't think it's flying cars, okay. and I don't think it's robot cars.
1: <laughs> okay. I really
2: think that stuff is way further. I think there will be demonstrations, and, you know, you'll see them in a few downtowns, and it'll be... Cool to see the the driver the driverless bus going up and down mm-hmm. one or two streets, but I think the you know the real large scale availability and applicability of that stuff is just just way farther off than than really makes it something that we need to be worrying about on the immediate kind of policy horizon. Um, but all, I I was totally caught off guard by the whole scooter thing. Mm-hmm. Like I figured last year I was like mark my words it's going to be dockless dockless <laughs> dockless bikes. It's going to be e-bikes. 2018 is going to be the year of the dockless, which sort of vaguely came true, you know, like they're dropping down in more and more cities, yeah. but the scooter thing I just did not take seriously at all. Um and but I think it's I think it's cool. I think more people on, like, human scale, human-sized things um, and not in cars is a great thing. And um, so I I am made happy by the scooter explosion. Um, and then I hope once those people figure out that it's really fun to just be out in the wind and, um, you know, outside of a – moving around outside of a vehicle that um, then they – realize this sort of the natural evolution of things which leaves you on a bicycle so
0: yeah no absolutely i agree uh bird launched in memphis maybe just a few weeks after he launched bike share and so of course there was a ton of comparisons and a a ton of sort of like oh like sorry guys like bird came in and my perspective was that, you know, all the points that you just made. And I hope that, you know, the people that are on a scooter go by a bike share station and realize that there's multiple ways to get around our city. And right. um, I used to say bike share, you know, is a gateway drug to riding a bike. And totally, maybe, totally. maybe scooters are the gateway drug to just thinking about transportation um, at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to it makes a lot more people think about, you know, protected infrastructure small vehicle infrastructure, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, it gets, I just think get all of this stuff regularizes human beings out in the air on small things. And, you know, when you see people in normal clothes, riding a bike, it, I think that does more. Um, I feel like You know, with bike share, just basic bike share, just the fact that it's gotten way more people out, um, you know, just going about their regular lives, looking, not, you know, not wearing spandex and often not wearing helmets and, you know, just Mm -hmm. looking regular out on a bike. I think that has done huge amounts for just changing the way people think about about getting around, so... Mm -hmm. Um, I I welcome our scooter of lords.
0: <laughs> me too. Though, while I don't know anything, you're, but I, like, the scooters to me, I was like, wait, this is really happening? And then yeah, it kept I mean, happening? And then kept, people kept investing in it? And I was like, what?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's, I don't, like, because we, I mean, it was only, it was like a year ago that you started hearing about, you know, people go to LA and talk about, they rode a bird scooter in Santa Monica and then but then all of a sudden it just kind of appeared everywhere and it still is not in Chicago at all. So I've still never ridden one of these. I've, only, I've ridden electric bike shares and, um, you know, pedal assist stuff and, and all the dockless, but I've never ridden a scooter. Um, so I think they're waiting till last for us because we're going to probably really regulate the heck out of them.
0: Yeah, Memphis is. Well, well, Memphis has them now, but we're in the process of formalizing our shared mobility ordinance. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes things. We actually got and is the that part uh, of it.
2: Was, pardon? Were they were the scooters like contemplated in that? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, so it's fascinating. So Bird launched in Nashville without you know telling anyone and just launched, and so Nashville kicked them out, and so they put all of the scooters on a bunch of trucks and drove them down I forty to Memphis. Um, but Memphis was, you know, at least from an administrative standpoint, thinking about how to try to prepare and permit and hopefully not run into some of the issues that had been happening in other cities. So time will tell, you know, it's still new and the ordinance hasn't been officially put into place, but it'll be fascinating to watch um, once there is an ordinance, kind of how Bird reacts and follows um, kind of the commitments that are outlined. Right. Yeah. So. And,
2: and how much they can do that with just their sort of new little market business yep. model that they set up and how much it's going to be them explicitly going out and
0: moving, moving yeah, things around. Exactly. So. A lot of unknowns. But Well, yep. Colin, I really appreciate you taking time. This was, like I said, I've been wanting to have, have y'all on for, for quite some time. So this got to check off one of my Bike Nerds podcast bucket lists. Um, oh, great. So I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Okay, cool. Well, thanks, Sarah. The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of The Bike Nerds, Sarah, and Kyle, and the OEM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit the slash Nerds.
0: Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at Nerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at The Bike Nerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com.